Welcome to episode 52 of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and with me as always is Matt Leach. So I've been thinking about a word that I can say rather than hello because it's been like 52 episodes. Well, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) So this is me saying I haven't actually come up with anything yet. Good. But if, um, yeah, I'm still working on it. Like 53 is going to be awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Great. So I guess this episode is senior designer at Interbrand, and what he's probably better known for is the co-founder and director of Nowhere Famous, Nick Redeno. Welcome to ADR. Hi. How are you? Good, good, very good. <laughs> so you're out, you've been allowed out from the, the baby, you're yep. one, one-year-old? Yep, one and a very little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one and a month. So, uh, and sleeping? Yep, sleeping really good now. I don't want to. I don't want to jinx now it now. Says. Yeah, <laughs> get ready for the first eight months if you're having a kid. It's absolute hell. Well, it was for us anyway. So, but now he's sleeping, so it's good. So, what what was your for our listeners with kids? What's your tip? Oh, the tip. It's maybe a bit controversial. It's a bit of a divisive <laughs> whiskey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, booze. Lots of booze. Um, no, a little bit of controlled crying after trying just about everything else. Yeah, right. This is, definitely not the the most interesting topic for design radio but um but it did work for us in the end and was pretty pretty quick and he seems all right he doesn't seem emotionally damaged yet so what's interesting though is is the whole like designers tend to come at these as like well this is a problem i can solve yeah did you go through all that definitely and my missus is very much like that like she needs to to fix a problem straight away so she read just about everything she could she we tried just about everything (laughs) that we could yeah and then it sort of just got to the point where we had to let him, it sounds really cruel, but it's not. If you do a little bit of reading, we had to let him cry it out a bit, but um, the turnaround was just so quick. And now he's he's happy when he goes to bed, so that's good. It's yeah. very good. So let's just go back to our history. Yeah. So uh, I think I was a teacher when you were at Billy Blue. Yeah, you were sort of like our student Liaison. Yeah, liaison kind of go-to. That's such a funny word, isn't it? Liaison. It's a shitty word. I hate that <laughs> word. I had that as my title for a while. Did you? Yeah. The only business card I ever had was industry liaison, which was stupid because people either didn't understand what that was or industry would say, who's this, who's this guy? <laughs> no, you're not. Um, but liaison was spelled incorrectly. Right. Really? So I had 500 cards of liaison spelled incorrectly <laughs> Hand, handed them out for about two weeks before someone put me up on it so awesome. yeah, it was a good good start yeah <laughs> so you you went to college there but yeah then you came back and you taught there for a long time yeah and you actually taught longer than you were studying yeah i think i ended up teaching there for about five years and it's it's weird that billy blue has become this sort of hub for everything that's happened to me sort of design wise really like from studying there to you work downstairs from them now to teaching there to working in the same <laughs> building to getting the job through one of my old students like ah. the job at interbrand now um just coincidentally through tom who did the the mural oh right yeah so yeah it's sort of this weird i can't escape the billy blue <laughs> <laughs> just when i thought it was out yeah, yeah exactly back in every time me back in so yeah <laughs> so are you teaching now though no, no, not teaching anymore. So I think I can't really remember when I stopped teaching there. It must have been, I don't know, maybe two years ago now. The reason I ask is yeah. uh, I ran into some of your ex-students. Yeah. They were kind of giving rave views about, <laughs> about your teaching style. I think. 
So why why not? Would you go back to it? Um, yeah, I definitely would. I think the students might have given me rave reviews. I don't know whether some of the admin people at Billy Blue would give me uh, rave reviews. I, apparently, he's I wasn't. Late on marking. <laughs> well, apparently, I wasn't very present in terms of uh, doing other things outside of teaching because the tricky thing was like I had a obviously a full time job running the studio, and I really loved teaching, but I was there to teach and then I'd bail. Like I didn't really hang around for staff meetings and I didn't I didn't sort of sit in the staff room and yammer about timetables and <laughs> all that kind of stuff <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to diss on the other lecturers but I just didn't really have time for it so I love the teaching aspect but I really dislike the admin aspect of it but yeah teaching teaching was great for me you know um, I guess creatively because it really made me question a lot of my own processes because you have to look at things through a completely different lens um, than you do with a client. So, you know, students, I, I made a real point of always showing development of work that I was doing at that time to sort of ground my classes in a little bit of reality rather than just talking about things that we're never actually going to see the light of day, like um, yeah. student work and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was nice to, to show them my work and then have them ask questions about it and then think about it in different ways. So, Did you find that tough, though? Because I, I know when I was teaching... Like some of my biggest critics were students. <laughs> yeah, kind of like, but the client liked it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And some students that were really good. That this, um, I remember this Dutch guy called Cohen. Maybe he's not Dutch. Sorry if you're not Dutch, Cohen. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Would, Scandinavian. I know where this is going. <laughs> they, they would have told you that somewhere the where they're just born good designers. Yeah. <laughs> they put it in the water. Yeah, yeah. And was always ridiculously good. And he would always cut down my stuff and ask mm. questions. And I'm like. I don't really know why I did that, but thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, <laughs> was it was this like a, an older gentleman as well? No, no, no. He was he was. I think he's the same age as me. So right. Um, don't get me wrong, lovely person, but just yeah, an amazingly good designer as well. So yeah, it was some students was hard to show work to. For I sure. found that with the maturity, the more mature the student, you know, they're often spending their own time coming after work. You know, they're on a mission. They've got an agenda. They can be yeah. They're pretty brutal. brutal. Yeah, I, yeah. Had, I had some. They older, asked the good questions. Yeah, yeah. I had some older students that were tricky. Like some, I think I taught a guy who must have been in his fifties or something, and that was that was difficult. But mm. that's kind of what you want in some ways, isn't it? Like you want engaged students who really want to learn and really want to, mm. I guess, push. Yeah, it's not bad, but it's different. Yeah, it's different to wide-eyed. Um, I was up too late last night. Yeah, you know, Friday <laughs> Fridays are bad because they're bloodshot eyes because they've been out all night the yeah. night before and stuff is different to someone getting there half an hour early and then asking you half an hour of questions and have 100 <laughs> students to kind of lecture. <laughs> that can be tough, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but no, but yeah, it is nice when you have those students who are engaged and they are keen and they're, they're asking questions yeah. for the right reasons, not asking questions because they think that's what will get them marks. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, certain students who would just ask questions because they think that's their way of participating, not actually doing the work. So mm. I found that my the chances of me remembering a student were either if their work was really bad or if it, were, <laughs> if it was really good or if they were keen to ask a lot of questions or if they didn't. And then there was most just sort of fell in the middle that didn't really, weren't that engaged and didn't really <laughs> care. So I was really bad with student names. I really? was shocking. <laughs> really, really bad. <laughs> I used to carry around one of those like kind of boards with their pictures on it, mm. like kind of handwritten names next to them, and then like little notes next to them. <laughs> Bad, <laughs> good. You only have to remember a handful if there's only a handful of good ones anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So another place that we crossed over is then mm. you went and started working for Designers Kinky, and I think we probably worked together, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something before I left. Was it? No, it was longer that than that. Was it longer than that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So getting old, than that. this is all like <laughs> it's all blurring together. Yeah, blurring well, together. yeah, you, you, you got me the job at Designers Kinky. Oh, did I? Yeah, that yeah. That was nice of me. <laughs> that was nice. So I remember there were a few different internship um, positions coming up, and I'd done one at Landor. So you did do your industry liaison stuff. Yeah, I see. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant, but I was out there. <laughs> I'd won at Landor for, I don't know, maybe a month or something. And then Simon and Lara, they were running Pixel Mag at the time, so they oh, were looking yeah. for someone, and Rory went there. And AJ and uh, Muzz were looking for someone, and, uh, yeah, I went to DIK just to, like, send their mail and stuff initially. So just for some context for some people, because there's a lot of acronyms and yes, short names getting through <laughs> around there. So AJ and Muzz are uh, Andrew and Murray, who yeah. started semi permanent They're also running Designers Kinky, which yeah, is DIK. Exactly. Yep. Which I remember really well because it said mm. everyone had stickers that said, I love DIK. Yeah. Which was hilarious <laughs> when you're a design student. Yeah. Yeah. And the DIK face washer. The I never saw that one. Oh yeah, there was. I think it said. I think it said "dick face washer" on it. <laughs> that they gave away at one of the SPs. That was a good one too. Nice, brilliant. <laughs> so what did what did you do? What did you do there? Because I'm not still. I, even though I know everyone involved, I'm still not completely clear on what everything happened through DIK. Yeah, it was sort of. It was. It was like quite a cool time to be there, I guess, because, like I said, I started out literally just sending mail. Um, because they were, they were always doing like t-shirts and book orders and stuff like that. So I'd go in there and just label stuff and send stuff out. And then back then they were always doing like cool collabs with different brands and stuff. So Murray was doing some dot to dot picture book. I can't remember who with, um, and he got really sick of artworking it. So he asked me to, to go in and, and trace <laughs> these. They were like one, two, three clan drawings that we turned into dot the Dot oh, to dots. Wow, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. that was really good. It was a really cool book, and so I got to sort of sit there and do that for hours and hours and hours. It was a pretty interesting time because I remember stuff would just happen. Yeah, back then DIK was just huge. It was just this beast, like the the kind of design blog before design blogs. Like it, it definitely yeah. was one of the first, I think. It was, it, and I remember like Andrew just kind of leading back, going, "Oh, I got an interesting email, and then should we do this?" And they was like, "Yeah, cool." Mm. It was, uh, it was an interesting place to kind of be hanging around. Yeah. And then obviously, Movement was upstairs, and you started working on Movement magazine for quite a while, didn't you? Yeah. So I was kind of, I guess, still interning, and then Murray came to me one day and he said, oh, "I've got to go to the UK to do the um, SP over there." There's, I think they're finishing up issue five of Movement, and he said I I need someone to finish it up. So can you just finish it, and I'll like I'm going to go to the UK. So I was kind of landed with the, the mag, even though I hadn't worked on it before. So it was pretty brilliant, <laughs> pretty crazy. They, so, they obviously felt really comfortable with you. Yeah, yeah. I knew, knew you could do it. Yeah, I have no idea how long I'd actually been there for at that point, but it didn't seem like very long. So, right. Um, yeah, I was sort of chucked the mag at this very early stage and he was still overseeing it um, from overseas and obviously um, Ben and then the editor at the time I think was Rick Bannister yeah. yeah who went on to do um, Smith Journal and now mm. he's doing I don't know if you've seen Palette no so it's a it's a magazine all about beer so it's spa- they're based I, over I in the I need to know yeah, this you magazine. need to know about Palette yeah <laughs> based over in the States now 
but yeah, he's such an amazing writer and amazing editor, and always yeah. has done really good stuff. So yeah, it was he, this crazy. He told me loads about writing. Just yeah, that idea of you just sit and you write, and then you get rid of all the crap, basically. <laughs> but you don't you don't try and over over uh, fluff or over. Um, I'd have nothing left. Yeah, <laughs> but just just this idea of that you write and then it, but don't try and uh, edit as you go. Oh, okay, uh, which was like a kind of that completely blew my mind because I think I would spend you know like half a day writing a paragraph it's a great paragraph trying to get it perfect (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh but yeah so yeah oh excellent yeah so like at that time there were all these I guess amazing people hanging out and um people back then who I didn't know I think some of them have gone on to there was always fashion photographers around I, I can't remember names but it was that kind of place where there were just cool people hanging out and always smelt like new books because they're always yeah, magazines, always, always smelled coming. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember um, we got this. Uh, it was an order. We were, we were doing something. I think it was more Murray was doing something with girl skateboards. Right. And uh, and we just got this box. Oh, you all those skate decks. Yeah, and it was like full of like you know two hundred of the best skate decks you've ever seen. And yeah. I just remember. Uh, yeah, my my daughter rides one of them now. Which is pretty cool. exciting. <laughs> Nothing like a girl skateboard. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that just sort of translated into... Murray ended up being over in London for quite a while, so I sort of transitioned into art directing the mag and you're like still pretty quickly. still at uni at Yeah, still studying. See, so. that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty nuts, especially looking back, because the workload was huge. Um, I remember I was bunkered down with um, Rory and my good mates, and... Um, we would just sit there doing assignments and then I'd finish doing assignments and start working on movement again. I think I slept at the office a couple of times to get it done. And wow. Then had to fly down to Adelaide to press check and I had no idea what I was doing. So. <laughs> talk, talk us through <laughs> that. It's like <laughs> stroking your chin, yeah. just kind of mm, pointing color, at things colors arbitrarily. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't understand press checking. <laughs> I, ju- I just always remain silent kind of thing so then they they kind of over tell you everything you need to know and then you're like ah yeah all right (laughs) yeah most most of them will try and convince you that it's all going to be fine once the ink dries yeah that's that's the (laughs) usual tactic all right yeah once the ink dries it'll be sweet so that 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 color will completely come back it's a good thing you flew down there (laughs) it feels like that could have been handled by an email (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah it was like it was a really cool and kind of crazy time most people that where they have gone on to do like really awesome things so it's yeah it was I was so fortunate to be there at that time I think because obviously empty was happening and then moving on top of that and then obviously being involved in semi-permanent as well and empty and movement are both magazines right movement is yeah sorry is, is that the, the oh, just to give people context yeah, yeah, just yeah. in case um so, it's the bodyboarding so body magazine body yeah. and empty empty like design slash art kind of yeah Stuff. It was it was enough. more it was always that idea about going the story behind right the art I guess all all that kind of working really late kind of juggling college and also work I guess yeah I, did that set you up well for kind of professional life um, or just wreck you <laughs> that's a good question yeah was it was like a trial by fire or <laughs> yeah trial by fire but I didn't have anyone there as sort of oversight right because like the the magazine always came out and always looked 
you know, generally pretty good. But there was I never really had someone who was overseeing what I was doing. Right. Which I don't know I mean looking looking back, I sort of I guess did my career backwards. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Benjamin Button. Yeah, right. yeah. In, in in what way? How? Like I guess I sort of um well I guess after movement I kind of um after movement and freelance, I guess I taught for a while and then I founded my own business and now I'm at a studio. Yeah. Whereas most people would probably tend to finish college and look for that experience within a studio and then form their own and then when mm. they can't design anymore, go and become a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really that, 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 that. <laughs> Keeping that in. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was sort of, I don't know, yeah, looking back, I wish I'd I'd spent a little bit more time sort of feeling out the Sydney design scene, but it was such a great time sort of working on movement and, and doing my own thing that I I guess I sort of lost sight of that. So, And I guess also being exposed to semi-permanent because, I mean, what you probably came in around semi-permanent three? Something like that, yeah, yeah two or three. So you must have, I mean being exposed to those kind of speakers worldwide international kind of mm. well-known designers who was there someone that stands out in your mind of that time that made an influence on you i think it was more the the office in general rather than specific speakers like i was i mean i am s- still sort of now but back then i was really shy so i would chat to the speakers but not in a huge amount of detail like i was never that sort of hustler that would follow up emails afterwards and try and you know, meet up with them if I was overseas or anything like that because that sort of thing just kind of irked me. So It, it freaks me out as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not that that guy to drop someone an email and then just turn up on their doorstep yeah. and, hey. and say, hey, remember me? I was the guy who got you a bottle of water at Semi-Permanent <laughs> 2003. <laughs> but you know, I do remember you. You made my talk. <laughs> I changed my life. I've still got the bottle. <laughs> but the thing is that it works for people. Like I know hustlers mm. who, who do that and it works for them. Yeah, there's people who are really, really good at it and turn it into, you know, proper work or, you know, yeah. a legitimate job, but that, that just wasn't me. So I, th- I think just being around that stuff in general, like I found, you know, AJ and Murray, um, you know, incredibly inspirational. I mean, they were sort of my mentors in, in terms of a design sense. I mean, it was quite loose in the way that they they weren't, you know, picking me up on my kerning or anything like that or saying that my artworking wasn't any good, but... Um, in terms of sort of sculpting who I am probably now as a designer, they had a pretty pretty big role to play in that, mm. I think. Um, but then sort of going forwards, I always questioned whether my methodology or my thinking was right because I'd never had that sort of solid studio experience. Yeah. Um, apart from, I guess, having said that, I did do a, a bit of freelance with um, Naughty Fish that's now Garbutt. Yeah. So I like Paul was he was one of my lecturers when he I would studied definitely Billy pick Blue. You up on Kony. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. So I I did have that influence as well and, and freelancing for him was was awesome. Mm. It was a really, really steep um, learning curve. Um, and that was back when they were um, I guess working on smaller stuff than they are now. I mean they've they've grown exponentially not in size but in terms of the work that they're doing and creating now it's amazing what they're doing so has the design conference released the video of paul yep they i have. think so i think so yeah, yeah. Everyone's great talk everyone yeah. should check that that was a really really inspiring and 
just amazing talk to see. Mm. He really went into detail about how he thinks about things and yeah. his process of kind of thinking through a concept, yeah. which was uh, really insightful. Yeah. So, all right, let's back to you though. Yeah. So you leave Designers Kinky, you finished college, started teaching. Yeah. Uh, and you op- you decide to open your own studio. Yeah. How did that come about? I guess it was mainly a product of timing because I was uh, I w- I finished working on T World with Eddie Zammett, which is which is a, sorry <laughs> yeah that's no, cool I'm just gonna keep I'm gonna keep throwing it in yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> usually I'm the one listening to kind of other podcasts and I'm like what who, who's what? who's <laughs> KT in the J Wiz <laughs> you know. Well, you mentioned something. You mentioned um, you mentioned one, two, three clan as well. I just had to quickly Google that, and I realized oh, yeah. how old and uncool I am because <laughs> it's like a spray paint, like artist kind of collective. Or something. Well, yeah, no, maybe maybe that makes you young because they're yeah, they're 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 proper old school. Are old. they doing anything anymore? Well, they came out. Speaking of Eddie Zammett and T World, they came out for Streets Ahead, which was part of Vivid. I think maybe two years ago now. Yeah, which was sort of a, I guess like a streetwear culture conference like a little pocket of of vivid and one two three clan came out for that right. along with some sort of streetwear designers from new york was that the one that was heaps and heaps and heaps of t-shirts is that what eddie did that mm. like all hung up on the roof no that was part of next which was outpost outpost um, that's that, it. Outpost. that was cool yeah, yeah that was super cool that only happened once unfortunately but that was mm. pretty amazing it's supposed to happen every two years and it was yeah it just never happened yeah mm. um it was that was an amazing event. So much live painting and just mm. just really yeah. an amazing way to kind of really understand the graffiti scene, I guess, at that time. It was yeah. cool to kind of dip your toe in as someone that's not part of the culture mm. constantly. Just kind of go there, get completely immersed in it, walk around all jazzed on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I picked up a um, Georgia Hill T-shirt. Oh, really? A screen print from there as well. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But back to, back to T-World. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess it's all sort of interconnected. So Eddie who runs T-World, the T-shirt magazine, um, which is still around, but it's it's always a little while between issues because Eddie is an absolute perfectionist when it comes to the content that he wants and the story that he wants to tell, and he doesn't want to tell a little story. He wants to tell, a, you know, a massive story, hence the however many thousands of T-shirts that were hanging from the roof in, yeah. the, in the next <laughs> exhibition. He doesn't do things by halves. So I was working on that um, with him, and... At that time, doing a lot of work with the Ambush Gallery guys who ran Outpost. Um, so I sort of had a little bit of a client base in that respect. And my really good friend, Mig, had just finished his master's at Kofa. And he wasn't too sure what he wanted to do. And I sort of said, well, like, I've got enough work to kind of sustain us for the moment. So why don't we kind of start something? So, yeah, I guess I sort of took him under my wing a little bit and taught him what I knew about design. I mean, he was already a good designer, he but... Did, he just finished his course and you, you'd already been teaching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had a really strong background in um, project management, but in a construction sense, but right. still super helpful in terms of um, how to structure things, you know, in terms of workflow and, and that kind of stuff. So he sort of initially ran the more businessy side, and but then we sort of those two roles kind of got mixed into one and we sort of ended up doing a bit of both. He's kind of the perfect partner for you because he's, yeah. I would say, very outgoing. Yeah, and definitely. you're probably more introverts. So. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I went to high school with him, so it was, I mean, yeah, it was so, so amazing that time, I guess, working with my best mate. You can't get much better than that, so. 
can you though? Does it get painful <laughs> after a while? <laughs> yeah. old, old grudges come, come well, back up? I can probably get painful after a while, but he is <laughs> hands down the nicest man in the world. I've never seen him get angry, so except on the soccer field. Right. When his like, true <laughs> Italian spirit comes out. And I've never seen him shout so much, but yeah. <laughs> so where, where did the name come from? Um, so it came from an episode of The Simpsons. I don't know if I should say this on... Yes, on a public broadcast, but <laughs> um, I'm sure they can't sue us. Um, yeah, just from an episode of The Simpsons, and it was like again connects back to Billy Blue. It was a student project who had to come up with a studio name, um, and I was watching an episode of The Simpsons where Homer um, becomes friends with Kim Basinger and Basinger, Basinger, Basinger. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. And um, and one of the Baldwin's. I don't know which one. He he like Billy. Billy Ball. Oh, is it Alec Baldwin? No, I'm it's Alec. Sure. It's Alec. Yeah. But he like he falls I, through the skylight. Yeah, yeah I'm with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he finally reappears and Bart says, Oh, where have you been? And he goes, Oh no, we're famous. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm never gonna watch that episode without thinking of you now. Yeah. That's crazy. Great yeah. episode. Yeah. Good yeah. Be careful, Good episode. Like, Flynn Flynn knows the director, so you know, he'll be on the phone and be like, Hey, you need to uh, <laughs> you need to bring the suits. Time for a cease and desist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh, that's cool. I love it. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I just thought it was really cool. And so just I, roll with I it? I stole it. So, when you said um, you weren't sure if you could say it, like, <laughs> is that because that's part of the story that you don't tell? Because I often find that people have kind of, oh, here's like the backstory that I'll tell most of the time. And oh, yeah. here's actually where we got the name. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I've, we've told that. You've told of that times story before? before? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just don't want to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> Fairly certain that David Silverman is not listening to the podcast right now. <laughs> if he is, that's an honor. You never know. That's fine. I'll take the hit for you, man. Oh, oh sweet. <laughs> so do, do you have like a one for the clients, though? Oh, a story for the clients? Yeah. No one's ever asked. None of our clients have ever actually oh, really? asked. Yeah. Okay. You get a pass as a designer, right? You yeah, like, we're just hey, like, they're just... That's those, called hoverboard. Like, yeah, those crazy guys called Nowhere Famous. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you did some pretty amazing kind of work and... I know when you first started off, what was really interesting, you were doing, I guess you were bringing a lot of craft back in. Like there was a lot of kind of tactile stuff that you were building. Yeah. I mean, I, when did you do the five? Yeah, that was one of the, f- like, I think that was the kind of second job that we did. Wow. So just, just for the audience, it was a, if you stood in one particular uh, spot, mm. you could see exactly that it said it was a gigantic five. Um, but as soon as you moved, you could see that it was made up of all sorts of stuff like books and yeah uh, i can't remember what there was but it was it was an amazing piece who, who was it for it was for a an art project called uh, project five right and it runs every year it's uh, again run by the ambush guys who we they were like our kind of core client um we did you know tons and tons of work for them and ended up sharing an office with them in central park um so every year they get together four artists and they do live painting and then they auction off the works for charity so that was i think that was yeah the first time that we'd done the identity for that but when i say identity i mean like it was kind of just the the poster and promo artwork and and those kind of things but you you also did i remember seeing the rocks was that the rocks yeah so that year it was at the rocks and then i think the year after that it shifted down to darling quarter right um but yeah, I just I don't I became obsessed with anamorphic projection, which is what what that process is, where you can see something from a certain angle and then can't see it from others. And I guess we, I mean, we always had that ambition as a studio, but especially starting out, I wanted to do stuff that we didn't know how to do properly. Right. Because <laughs> I, I, there's definitely that desire as a as a designer starting out or a company starting out to do work that 
I guess, stretches you or um, goes beyond the brief so that you, I guess, start to build that portfolio, which I guess can be a little bit dangerous as well. Yeah, why, like why, we. Why, why dangerous? Um, I guess from a business sense, because so you're, 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 you're running to meet a deadline. The last thing you want to do is try something you've never done before. Yeah, and just overextending on things that you don't really have a budget for. Like right. we'd we'd get our design <laughs> budget, and then we'd spend X amount on paint and X amount on, yeah. you know, buying props and stuff. And then we then once we'd finished it, we thought, oh, it's it's really cool and the photo looks great. But you, and we sent it to the client, and they were like. Oh, that's that's really cool. Um, can you can you change the five slightly? Because they thought we just photoshopped it onto right. a collection of objects, and I'm like, no, it's in it. Like we we built it, and they <laughs> couldn't understand it. So we shot a little video on the iPhone to show them, and they're like, oh wow, that's really cool. So then we hired like a we were such idiots. We hired a track so that we could like do this tracking shot around yeah, it, and it, it's video. really really dodgy. It's the, a great video though, it, but it's. Yeah, it could, it could have been a lot better, I guess, but we just spent money on little things like that, which from a business sense is silly, but I was just so obsessed with creating like really cool work that I that I was really proud of. So I guess where that that's where that handmade nature came from in our work because I I felt like just creating something on screen was a bit lazy because mm-hmm. you know, we could do that in a couple of days. I wanted to do something that sort of took us a little bit more time and we could craft a bit more and... Um, yeah, it just sort of, I guess, excited me creatively. So that was just the two of you doing that? Yeah. Wow. That's, and then... I mean, if, for any of the listeners, you, it, can they still see it on the on the Nowhere Fan Yeah, site? yeah, it's still up on the website. It's it's worth checking out because it's a, it's quite an amazing piece of oh, work. Oh, thanks. Hmm. Yeah, um, I remember. I didn't know it was you guys, though, but I remember exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know that at the time. Right. right. Um, but yeah, I definitely... Yeah. It's a memorable piece of work, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, at, th- at that point, it was just two of us, and then we grew to three for a while with another good friend, Reese, who's an amazing um, letterer. That was another really lovely influence in the studio. Um, and then, yeah, we he left, I don't know, he was probably there for a couple of years and then left, so then it was just back down to the two of us. But yeah, we were always a very, very small team. So I want to contrast that job mm-hmm. with the job you did for Google, right. which was the Big Tent publication. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a bit about that, because you kind of go from handcrafted I guess which is definitely some of your work but then the Google one was anything but I guess yeah in a sense yeah that was again this really strange connection back to Billy Blue and oh, really? yeah, <laughs> another another form, former student and this, one this of episode the, sponsored by <laughs> Google yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, another one of those inherently good designers who I probably didn't teach a great deal to at the end of the day um, Alex Torkudi who's um, I'm pretty sure he's still designing at the um, not the art gallery in New South Wales the MCA he's one of the designers there um, and the event was being held at the MCA and um, Google asked them, you know, they said they were creating this book and they put a bunch of names forwards and for some reason they picked us. I don't know who the other names... They've seen that episode of The Simpsons, that's why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, these are the guys. These guys are hilarious. <laughs> don't go with Krusty Burger, go with Noah Famous. <laughs> they sound way better. Um, and yeah, it was just a phone call out of the blue, which was like, yeah, really, really nice for us. And I... I think that was another one of those those situations where the brief was like just to create a book. They were going to give us the content and they just wanted it laid out in a nice way and to feel like a special kind of collectible. But again, that sort of, which I think is important, this 
this desire to kind of over deliver yeah so i want to understand that because that that seems like a kind of running theme through mm. nowhere famous yeah or may, maybe you maybe your career i guess yeah it, which is i mean i think it's it's important to have and it's important to know when to to kind of stop um but sometimes you, you can't get to the idea without over delivering or mm-hmm. i guess trying more than you really need to so i didn't because I figured, you know, it's Google, so we want to do something really impressive. And I also didn't quite understand why it was this book about um, how you could properly deliver content online, but there was no online component. And, right. it, and it was just going to be this really stale um, document that had some really lovely stories written in it, but there were no visuals to accompany it. And they knew they wanted some kind of illustration, but they weren't really sure what. And they just gave us absolute free reign to do whatever we want they're big believers in hiring creators they're not creators themselves they're you know they're a technology company or they're an engineering company and they i mean the the work that they do create like google design is you know phenomenal but they don't see themselves as creators so they said you know here's the content here's what we want just go and do it so yeah i kind of came up with this idea where i wanted there to be an, an online component but i love this idea of the two mediums kind of merging at some point so yeah it developed into this idea where we wanted all the content within the book to be open source and shareable um and be available for anyone to download and remix in whatever way they saw fit because the the theme was about um the legalities involved with sharing content online and whether all online content should just be there for the masses to do with whatever they want okay so just so i understand this and i I tried to look it up as well and tried to work out what. So you basically enabled all the assets they used on the web and in the book mm. to be available for anyone to download. Yeah. Royalty free. Yeah. Yeah. I and, mean, and what's the hope there that they could then go and create their own book? Or? Yeah. I mean, I guess conceptually, it's probably bigger than than the output. Like, right. it would have been amazing if we could have, you know, gotten these world-renowned photographers to provide photography you know to put in the book or amazing illustrators that then we could on share that stuff um, but at the end of the day in the time constraints were insane and the budget although it was good it also needed to encompass the printing of the book and all that kind of stuff so they were just shots that we took ourselves of different inanimate objects that sort of had a bit of a connection to content and generating content right. and then sort of I guess yeah wanted to it was meant to be a, a an example of how you could how you could share content and how it didn't just have to live online it could also be offline and people could come up with their own interpretations of it i guess so conceptually i think it was all there in terms of execution you know you probably could take it a lot further like <laughs> i think there's still a, a really lovely idea in it and um there is a, there is a really nice idea the, the whole idea that you know you can find anything on the web and it's like you yeah. can find everything that's here like that you're reading on the web is yeah, is a nice idea. Yeah, except the the really annoying part was this one this one piece, which was the artist in residence. I think at the MCA, they they didn't want to share this one piece, which was sort of a little a doodle on one of the pages that the the artist in re- and I was like that sort of goes against the whole concept. That's going to be worth millions, man. <laughs> yeah, you got to pay for that. <laughs> so there was this one thing in the book that you couldn't download, which was a bit silly, but anyway. right. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like a game, find the one thing that yeah. you can't download. Yeah, but so it, it, w- it was kind of nice because recently I saw, not to say that it was directly linked, but some of the little themes that we um, 
sort of established within the book. It's probably complete coincidence. I'm not going to say that I informed any thinking within Google, <laughs> but one of their websites was quite similar to the website that we made for the book in terms of the way that you could remix all the objects and then on share that and then have someone else continue to remix it and then share it again. Yeah. Um, it was you know somewhat similar and, and then to c- kind of coincide with one of their online conferences, they did a book. So I like to think that yeah, we passed on a little bit more value there beyond the initial book, but uh, we probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. Can I just go back to the over delivery thing? Mm. So, what's your process for that? Is it when you get a brief, you say you rewrite the brief and kind of take it to the next level, or? Yeah, I think I think there always has to be that an element of that in in every job that you approach is questioning uh, what the final outcome needs to be for the client. Like most of them, just say that they need a logo and a website and a business card and you know looking at at their business and what they do and deciding whether that's actually the right thing that needs to be done and then challenging them on that and seeing if you can push it further i guess in some instances it might be a little bit selfish because you want to create an amazing piece of work but a lot of the time it's because it's a better way to deliver their content like google as an example if it was just a book i thought what's the point like you might as well just xerox all the you know everyone's articles and stick them on the chairs at the conference like I want something that people can interact with because that's what the conference was about so um, yeah discovering that idea that extends it yeah beyond what they initially thought they needed I think is is super important do you have a process that you that you carry out when um, give us your secrets Nick <laughs> <laughs> not really I think you just need time to think about it which is a lot of the, you know quite often you don't have that time yeah um you know it's something that has to happen straight away i think you know taking something and then just letting it percolate for a while and um not looking for a direct correlation in anyone else's work straight away like i think gathering really specific reference right at the beginning of a project can be really detrimental because it doesn't actually let you think about the problem that you're trying to solve you're already trying to think about maybe what the end solution might be so taking some time just to think about the problem and and how you might approach it and and hope that within a week you kind of come to a place where you've got sort of a a kind of unique idea but it's one of those things that a lot of people talk about that the the best ideas kind of hit you at the oddest times yeah but that but that's because you've you've had that time to actually sit and think about it I think yeah. I think clients that come in with these expectations of an amazing um, piece or an amazingly thought out concept the next day are sort of kidding themselves. I mean, it, you know, it's obviously achievable, but um, yeah, like amazing, like good things take time. So you need to give that you need to give designers time to actually do it. I've been reading a lot about the the power of the subconscious mind lately, and just that whole idea that if you kind of let something sit for long enough your subconscious mind kind of works on it mm. I've been doing this um, you'll love this Flynn great I've been doing this I already thing. hate it <laughs> I can tell you got that sparkle in your eye of. so I've been a couple of the projects I'm working on at the moment I've sort of been uh, writing down in um, in a book the, before I go to sleep basically last thing you do uh, it's like a dream journal <laughs> a pre-dream it's journal yeah it's horrible <laughs> but you kind of write down what the problem is and you kind of like, throw your ideas down about what you know, ways you think that might be to kind of fix it. And then the idea is you get up in the morning and you kind of do the same thing. Uh, so the first thing you do in the morning is like you, you write down the problem and, and, and what what you think 
could fix it. And mm. the whole idea is that by writing it down before you've gone to sleep, your subconscious then is thinking about it and kind of running it over. And the idea is when you wake up in the morning, you, sh- you should have more insights into what the problem is and, and how you might solve it. It's not working for me at the moment. I've <laughs> <laughs> been doing it for a week. Yeah. Maybe, maybe next week. That's all right. Whatever, you know, keep at it. Whatever works for you. That's good. So it was around about the same time, and I can't remember where this was, but there was an mm-hmm. interview, and you were talking about the future. And, and there was a line that you said that I thought was, was really interesting. And it kind of goes together with what you're trying to do with the Google, but I also thought it kind of fitted in with Nowhere Famous a little bit more. So you said the future, as you saw it, is a level playing field where content becomes democratized, put in the hands of anyone with the desire to remix and share it. Yeah, so I think if I remember the article correctly, um, I think it was about this idea of um, content sort of blurring and sort of becoming one beast that we all subscribe to rather than collect um, because yeah the the article the theme of the article is sort of you know what is the future of I think it was what's the future of design but more specifically what's the future of I guess content and I guess where I was getting to is that we're sort of in this place now where no one really collects things anymore it's it's something that we just subscribe to you don't have a particular genre of music that defines you as a person you just like music in general or whatever you might have subscribed to on Spotify that week um, and for me I think that that's it's a I mean I'm guilty of it I mean we're all guilty of it because it's easy but I think it's it's a little bit disappointing because we're losing part of the experience right this was this is actually I think it's from a different this is one you wrote isn't it swimming together in cyber soup mm. yeah which is a great article and it definitely you should do you write normally um not really i quite enjoy it yeah it was, but really, it was really well written but i'm super slow at it like i'm super slow at most things creative but it's because you I'm haven't really followed rick's advice <laughs> yeah. basically just get everything on the page <laughs> um but no I, I really do enjoy writing so it's something i'd like to do more but um yeah i don't do a great deal of it so i mean I, I thought that article was, was really interesting and, and I think you, you are right that this idea that we um, our ability to consume is just so unhindered I guess now yeah. in the sense that we can well I mean we've talked about before Spotify you know or Pandora or any of those it's kind of like listen to a song and I don't like it where yeah. you don't actually give it the time and you know when back when you bought the album you're like, shit, I've paid for this now. I have to <laughs> I have to give it a go or at least try to like yeah. it. It's also harder to get up off you know, the couch or the bed to go and change the record and everything. <laughs> just, just listen to it back to back, whatever. <laughs> yeah, true. That is so true. But so had, where does that lead though? We, um, I guess maybe that's sort of where I came to with that, that first little snippet that I wrote is I think that we're going to get to this point where we're so apathetic about content that people will be happy for anyone to share it, like as long as someone's consuming it. Right. Well, mm. it, I, I think we're sort of headed down a dangerous path where, I mean, we're already seeing a you know, somewhat decline in the music industry. If it gets to a point where no one wants to actually collect or buy anything, then we might be in this state where it's just free for everyone. But can I challenge that as well? Because, I mean... The whole, because I guess what you're talking about, the collecting and buying, is like mm. that consumerism. And then, you know, if I think about last 
year with Black Friday and that kind of the craziness that kind of that instills and how it's starting to sort of come into Australia. Mm. I mean, is that a good thing that we should be promoting? I don't think collecting in that sense, collecting, you know, expensive gadgets that we don't necessarily need. I think it's more, um, you can't deny that music used to define people and their sort of social niche. And I think we're starting to, I mean, I could be completely wrong. Who am I to be commenting on this kind of stuff? But (laughs) we might be starting to lose that. Like your your collection of, of music and artists that you like and writers that you liked and um, people that you looked up to and you admired and, and the news that you consumed as well sort of defined you as a person. And now yeah. we all consume everything and everyone's too afraid to say that they don't like something because they might be vilified for it. So it, we're, we're losing that sense of collecting things that we truly love or, or spending the time to discover things that we really love. Like you said, you can't be bothered skipping a track on an album. That's how you discover that amazing track on an album. Mm. Whereas now you're just like next, next, next. And yeah. 30 seconds later in that song could be this middle eight that the you just that absolutely it. love and, yeah. and makes the song for you. So, um, I, I guess a lot of our, um, it's all being hidden as well. So no one can really see my Spotify. It's not like my Spotify yeah. playlist is out for people to see. And I've got a friend who had an amazing um book collection isn't it isn't it usually public to people that follow you yeah i put mine i put mine on private oh do you yeah but it's also not <laughs> the same as going through um an album collection sure thing. yeah and and the friend i'm talking about had this awesome book collection and every time i went over i kind of borrowed a book uh, but I went over recently and he's got no bookshelves. He's like, oh, man. That's because you stopped bringing them back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's all on Kindle for him now. So yeah. it's like, he, he's like, oh, yeah, no, I got rid of them all. They're taking up too much space. And I've got, you know, I've got it all on Kindle. But it's now it's like it's not really possible for me to kind of browse and get an insight into what he's reading and mm. understanding. So, yeah. And, like, I don't want to sound like a Luddite. Like, I think that, that a Kindle is a you know, amazing piece of technology and people are still consuming books and I'm a terrible reader. I don't read anything because I lose interest really quickly, but... It's like Flynn. <laughs> I'm shocking. I'm so bad. <laughs> yeah. Audio format. That's where, <laughs> that's where, that's where it's at. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think... I don't know. I could, I could be completely wrong, but I think just that experience that you used to have of, you know, discovering something for the first time, I'd, maybe it's just with age that I'm not experiencing that as much, but I feel like I don't discover stuff that excites me as much because it's either gone viral and everyone knows about it and it's already passe right. or you just never actually find it amongst just this massive influx of content and people just get sick of it and they're like, I ah, skip, skip, I skip, have skip, so skip. many conversations now where we'll be talking, I'll be talking to someone about something mm. and they'll be like, oh, yeah, like this, da-da-da.com. And I'll be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, but kind of more like this, <laughs> da-da-da.com. And they go, oh, I haven't heard of that. And then it's this kind of like sharing of like stuff that we have found because there's just so much stuff and it's basically in many cases the same stuff yeah but in a different skin hmm. it can like be overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> can we yeah. Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about the contrast between I mean you've gone from about as small as a, as a studio that could, be, that could call itself a studio two mm. people that's probably yeah. it otherwise yeah. you're a sole trader right <laughs> yeah um, so as small a studio as you can get to interbrand, which is in, in in some ways independent, but it's also part of like a much larger. Like they kind of get it. Interbrand Sydney trying mm. to kind of get away a little bit of doing their own thing a bit. Yeah, always kind of have. Yeah, in Sydney, um, but it's still part of like a big thing. How are you finding 
um, being a still creative, yeah. but a creative cog in a in something that's bigger than yourself. Whereas before you were presumably fifty percent of decision making, creative direction, all that sort of stuff. Now yeah. you're part of a team. You know yeah. what I'm getting at? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I How's think um, partly it was a big relief in in one sense. Like not sure. running a business anymore is is really nice. But having said that, I still I still love to to hear what's going on within within Interbrand, and that's what's so nice about the Sydney team is it is just I think it's only maybe 15 at the moment. I think with us and Melbourne combined, we're 18 to 20. I can't remember exactly. Sure. Um, but it probably it, expands and contracts. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so. But it is it is such a kind of tight ship. Mm. Um, you know, we're part of this global network. But if if we want to enact any change within Interbrand Australia, it's it's kind of on us, which right. I think is really nice. We had a an on site which when the Melbourne people came down to Sydney and we all got together and just sort of talked about the business and moving forwards. And Kieran, the CEO, was kind of talking about well, if you want to change something within the business, it's the people within this room that have to do it it's not going to come from some big mm. high up overseas it's it's the people within this room right now that can can make that change and yeah it was just so lovely to hear that like i don't feel like i'm part of a big um corporate entity although we you know we sort of are it's it's a really nimble team and if you want to do something different or try something different it's it's totally achievable so in terms of a transition from a um a really small studio to Interbrand, I think it was a re- like a super easy one, like a lot mm. easier than I was expecting. I was sort of a little bit worried about the nine to five, but yeah, it's been it's been really good. Can I ask how it came about? Because you know, picture this: March eleventh, two thousand sixteen. You're tweeting and gramming about your latest kind of typography that you're sort of producing, mm. and then nothing. Yeah, like, what happened? Um. Well, yeah, the kid happened for one. <laughs> well, the, the yeah, my my little boy had arrived in October, so a, a bit before that. But yeah, I mean that was one thing. It was sort of getting a little bit too stressful, I guess, money-wise. If I'm being really transparent, but also I think it was probably a time for a change for both of us. Like we've been doing it for about four years, and it's it's this thing of you kind of want to get to a certain level and although the business was definitely growing like year on year we were almost doubling what we'd done but i mean when you look at where we started we were sort of doubling nothing for a couple of years but um, (laughs) (laughs) it was still it was still progressing nicely but i was just in a position where i i needed to to do something different and i wanted to kind of challenge myself in a new way and being within a studio is something that i hadn't done before so I either needed to take a bit of a step back from the studio and become a dad for a while or look for a, a role where I could obviously earn a little bit more but also really challenge myself creatively. Um, so I was mindful not to go to another small studio, which probably would have you know, been nice as well, but I wanted to go somewhere where I could be part of a bigger team and experience that, that sort of way of working because I never did it when I finished college. Hmm. So, yeah, that's cool. And because um, four years is actually quite a long time. Yeah, like it's it's longer than it sounds when you say it. Well, especially the amount of work you guys produced. I mean, like yeah. just even looking on your website or having known the kind of stuff you were doing, it was I was pretty I was pretty surprised when I found out it was only like four years. Yeah, 
yeah what well, we we definitely did a like a, a lot of work but having said that we could have worked a lot harder as well oh really what yeah. do you mean by that i mean we had a that was one of the things that we really wanted to make sure we had when we started the studio which is something that everyone says but is obviously a really nice work-life balance and being best mates um you know there was a lot of you know thursday friday saturday nights going out and sort of you know we <laughs> started to creep into wednesday <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> tuesday night's a big night <laughs> yeah i mean we were obviously still getting our work done and when we had big deadlines you know they they came first but from a you know from a business side we could have been a lot more hungry and like i said before i'm not one of those i'm not a hustler like i don't i don't want to nag people for work and i don't want to i don't want to not that it's begging but i don't want to have to pursue people too much i'd rather that they like what we do and come to us because they they like a certain thing um so i don't know if that answers the question i can't remember the question (laughs) yeah (laughs) it completely does so and how how's it felt like what what did it feel like putting together your portfolio i guess because you had you ever had to do that Mm, uh no i'd i'd done it once it was my Billy Blue portfolio, I guess. Portfolio. Yeah, graduating portfolio yeah. that I lost. Um, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know where it went. But yeah, I lost my graduating <laughs> portfolio as well. Oh, really? Air quotes. I've crashed I've it. I went back to it like two years uh, later. I, I would crash that whole thing. So I've actually I kept mine in its in its pristine condition. Oh my god, I'd love to see it. Well, it's it's hilarious. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> <but laughs> as big as a house, right? Like A two. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I've kept it so just so I could look back and go that that was ridiculous. Yeah. Like how did mm. I think I was going to get a job for that? So you did you did need to apply like with a portfolio of work. Yeah, just to one place um called Debaser, which they aren't around anymore. Yeah. They were a little um well when I say little they did amazing work, but it was just a two two man operation and then I think they had a third for a while Georgia Perry, who's yep. she does all kinds of fashion and textile mm. stuff now. She's amazing. Um, yeah, I worked for them for just freelance on and off for a few years as well. So but when you went to Interbrand, you had to turn up with a eighteen uh, portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was kind of nice in that respect. I mean, I assume check I, my website. Yeah, I, <laughs> I assume Ben had a look at the website, um, but they're they're big fans of hiring from within. So um, when I say hiring from within, obviously getting in a, a referral. So through, yeah. again, that, that Billy blue connection, Tom, who I taught, <laughs> he, um, he, he just told me that they were looking for people and it was just super good timing. Like I'd literally just started looking for positions. So yeah, yeah I went through some of that stuff, um, towards the end of 2016 and, um, I had a day set aside to do a resume cause I didn't have a resume <laughs> and I sort of sat down, I wrote one paragraph and then I went, nah, I'm not doing it. I don't. I'm not. I don't want to get a job where I have to bring a resume. <laughs> if you want to see my resume, go I to want LinkedIn. To work for you. Mm. That's <laughs> yeah. what, it's exactly what LinkedIn. I started copying LinkedIn, and I went, "What am I doing? Can't I just send them two links? Here's some stuff I used to do. Here's LinkedIn." <laughs> there's, there's still a stigma attached to it, though, that that people want. Like, it is uh, a. It is a resume, though. Yeah. It well, LinkedIn doesn't is. Doesn't it? Isn't it? But but I think it is. I mean, even Cristal talks about how he felt when he was advertising for a job, and someone sent him a tweet and said just send him like a link well that's different because someone specifically asked hey like if someone says you need a cover letter and a resume and i really right. wanted a job i'd apply with a cover letter and a resume because yeah. it shows effort right right but if someone said hey we're looking for someone with this send me your stuff if i kind of knew them i might be like hey maybe we should have a coffee or a beer or something first and try to circumvent the bullshit 
so that I'm not duplicating information they already have. Yeah, yeah. I think I think like a nicely formatted resume is a, is a very um, poor substitute for a sit down coffee with someone. Like Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Like, what's the point of knowing? You know, you assume that they have X Y Z qualifications within design. As long as you have a a nice body of work and you're a I just like decent to see what person. template they've used. <laughs> free template. We'll make sure the lettings on point. <laughs> five out of five stars in Adobe. Is that right, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started on those resumes. We got. Oh yeah, we we used to get sent a lot of those from students yeah. showing the different Adobe suite and their level of expertise within right. it. And it's like, don't tell me how bad you are at a program. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to know that you're pretty good at Illustrator but you're really bad at InDesign yeah right. I, I mean just just for a little bit of, of context <laughs> in a previous show Matt and I were talking about one of Matt's old resumes or portfolios he had like certain stars out of Adobe or that he had I didn't have the stars <laughs> you didn't I have just, the stars because that's my that's a, everyone has their pet hates and that's my pet hates you didn't on, have a stars I'm under, sorry I'm misquoting you I had on the skills oh you had Adobe you could do like the <laughs> whole, <laughs> the whole so that's right I, I apologize because right. at that time Adobe was just like three programs a bunch of programs and, and now it's like, I've got plethora <laughs> of, yeah you can do anything um, yeah you're right I apologize but yeah everyone has their own little kind of quirks with that right yeah you know, photo on the front of the resume how do we feel about that yeah <laughs> We digress. Um, but cool. So, also, oh, uh, Ben interviewed you, Ben Miles. Yep. So, so I had a, a coffee with Ben, and that was yeah, awesome. I mean, he's such a lovely guy. Yeah, it was it was a really kind of quick interview process, and they were super keen to get someone in straight away. So, yeah, the the sudden Twitter Instagram silence was because it was I'd sort of made the decision that mm. I was going to look for a, another position, um, and then it came up really quickly. So it was a bit of serendipity there yeah surely as yeah well. it was yeah. i was very very lucky but last year there was a typography exhibition uh, mm. and you entered that as nowhere famous didn't you um initially as nowhere famous and then just sort of as myself right yeah we haven't quite decided the transition yeah period. well <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the awkward breakup <laughs> um no we, yeah we haven't quite decided what's going to happen with the business, I mean, obviously, Meg's still running it and is still doing work for the clients that we had when I left because right, he okay. was, in, you know, so amazingly generous. Where I was like, you know, I need to get a job, and then the next week I had one. I was like, I got to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, I just love that scene. He like you're slowly packing up your <laughs> Yeah, I hope you didn't tell him while I was playing soccer. Hey, Meg, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he come over and punched me. Um, so yeah, he was super understanding about the whole thing. So kind of left left it a little bit kind of up in the air and at that point I was still helping out on a couple of projects we did a a really nice installation for transport for New South Wales that stayed up for like two weeks and then they moved it which was a real pity but the the aim is that we might still kind of collaborate on certain projects down the line but I'd Mm. prefer if they were I mean the ones that I I'll probably involve myself in are more um, installation based ones I think because I'd still like to have that as a creative outlet, not in so much of a design sense, but more as a sort of, yeah, I guess, out- artistic output. Um, yeah. But it depends what what Mig wants to do with the business at this point. He's sort of still doing a lot of really awesome web stuff and, and branding and things, so, yeah. Cool, yeah, it takes time, those things as well, especially when you start something. I mean, a week is nothing, 
that is like no time to yeah, yeah. completely change your life and yeah, lives exactly. everyone around you. So <laughs> yeah. obviously that ends up kind of being a really long tail of change before you've actually yeah, completely totally. flipped the switch. Yeah. So yeah, cool. So what about your typography stuff? Because that seems like an area that you have been moving into more and more. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I'm still really passionate about that. And now that I've got a little bit more time after hours, I'm I'm hoping to kind of ramp that because, up but because the child is because sleeping the, because the child's <laughs> sleeping so which is nice you could spend time with your wife I'm just saying <laughs> yeah we well, you know we can both be watching Netflix as I draw so right. that's that's the dream <laughs> um, but yeah I'm not I'm not setting myself any goals because I never meet them with that kind of stuff I'm I'm just trying to whenever I have time make sure that I draw because I, I didn't realise but for sort of eight nine months I hadn't done any kind of lettering or right. or anything so i'm sort of just starting to get back into the swing of doing it so and i guess that was my next sort of question or final question is is, is it lettering that you're particularly interested in yeah definitely i'm a shocking like calligrapher i'm terrible with a brush pen i i hate my handwriting and i, I hate all that kind of stuff i need to sit down with a pencil and draw myself a grid and uh and actually kind of very slowly craft craft letters and stuff like that so i didn't want to interrupt you before but my pun that i was going to throw in was netflix and quill <laughs> and now i'm really upset that you mentioned inking and calligraphy it would have been a perfect oh. um don't th- don't mess with his his puns man that's that takes me 55 minutes to get to it <laughs> come on you can just can cut that this. back in yeah definitely I always do that does take us to the end of the show guys Thanks so much. No, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, so what we usually do at the end of the show is just kind of ask you where, if people want to find out more about you, mm-hmm. is there a website, Instagram, like if people want to follow your stuff or where would you like to point people to? Um, I very hurriedly set up a website the other day, cool. n- nickredeno.com. Uh, not Nick Rodenko because that's a Russian photographer. Okay, yeah, <laughs> does great work. Yeah, Everyone has amazing work. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll put it in the we'll put it in the show notes cool um as well so people can just kind of click through yep and then i guess they can check out nowherefamous.com to see previous work yeah previous work and then i guess yeah interbrand in the future yeah i get the stuff that i've been working on isn't so much out in the wild yet but um but yeah going forward i think that's the thing with interbrand is always these really quite long lead times yeah we've interviewed people before who've who've left interbrand and said oh wait till you see the stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's unfortunately nothing i can talk about at this point so cool yeah well we'll leave that i think it's stand apart as well if i remember it's kind of crazy i remember that off the top of my head and matt where can people find you twitter man at leechworth well done i just remembered last year you gave me hard time about like not being excited enough about twitter yeah you're pumped <laughs> yeah that's true that's great well done um and you can find me at flynn tracy on all, all the things and you can find this episode more at ausdesignradio.com and you can follow the show on twitter instagram and soundcloud at aus design radio thanks guys thanks nick thanks, thanks nick